Welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Toronto. It's great to have you back. This is the one year anniversary of our show and I'm really excited. We've had a lot of great guests over the last year. We've, we're still in lockdown in Ontario and in Toronto after a year and it seems like things are getting worse uh, by the day. Um, we are at all-time high infection rates. Our ICU capacity is really, really high and doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. And that's why I want to bring on today's guest. He was our first guest on Lockdown Toronto and he was a great guest uh, and I wanted to bring him back for the anniversary, not only because he was our first guest, but also because he's a member of Provincial Parliament and can speak to a lot of the issues that I want to talk about today. His name is Tom Rakosevic. He's a member of Provincial Parliament for Humber River Black Creek, and he joins us today from Queen's Park. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be back. We've come full, full circle. It's been a year. I can't believe it. I know. It's been a year. Did you think we would be here a year later doing another episode of Lockdown Toronto and things are worse than ever? I've learned uh, in life not to make predictions on things. So, you know, I, I didn't expect that, but, um, but I'm always, you know, you always got to be prepared for the future, future. So certainly it was not on my mind. I was just hoping that we would get through this as quick as possible. But you know what? Here we are a year later. Smart philosophy and uh, not, to, not to bet on anything, especially in this environment, in this government. Um, I, I also want to congratulate you. You've got a second child on the way. Uh, it's been a it's been a busy year, uh, in more ways than one, and uh, I just want to congratulate you on that. Um, so you. over the last year, let's do a bit of a recap. Right now, we are in another state of emergency. We last Friday, Doug Ford announced uh, police state measures. Um, uh, and restrictions, including shutting down of playgrounds, which you got a lot of flack for in the press. Our case counts are averaging over 4,000 a day. Our ICU capacity is at an all-time high. What were the inflection points over the last year? From your perspective as a member of provincial parliament for the official opposition in Queen's Park, what were the inflection points over the last year of where this government went wrong and why did they go wrong, in your opinion? Wow. Well, we don't have all day. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there certainly have been uh, things that could have been done better or done differently, certainly. And, and um, you know, many times they weren't listening to their own science table. Many times they weren't listening to people. Um, where do you start? Uh, right from the outset, and I mentioned this last time, right at the outset of the pandemic, when the World Health Organization was declaring COVID-19 a global uh, health pandemic, um, the, at the time the premier was telling people to go out and enjoy uh, March break. You know, it's right. wherever the pandemic was uh, exploding south of the border. And, and ultimately we were hearing from our premier that, you know, go and go enjoy yourself. And, and I think that, you know, that that did not set a good tone. Uh, you know, later he backtracked and eventually we did go into lockdown. But um, there were so many suggestions that were being told to to protect those in long term care, have plans on the ground, PPE, you name it. And um, that wasn't there. So the military had to be called in for uh, many different long-term care facilities, you know, and, and we saw the absolute tragedy that unfolded during the first wave. And now 
their case counts after the first wave began to diminish slightly. But again, the science table and the doctors told us that um, that based on modeling that you could consider that in fact, there would be a second wave. They even told us when we, t we were to expect it, which would be in the fall. And so you would think that the government would have had the hindsight um, of the first wave to be able to, to do that um, and prepare for it. But so many things weren't listened to. Once again, it, it got into long-term care and the, the absolute horrible tragedy continued where lives were lost. And it was just, it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, um, right from the outset, not providing a pandemic, uh, you know, sick days for those, for essential workers, um, an absolute mistake. We're in the midst of a pandemic and people from the beginning of this pandemic were being forced to have to choose between possibly going to work sick to get a paycheck because they're struggling to make ends meet or, or follow the safety advice to protect their communities and, uh, and stay home. And um, so th that's just two examples. And, and the list goes on and on. We, we've seen schools opening, closing, opening, closing, um, lockdowns, limited lockdowns, different restrictions. You mentioned most recently that uh, what appears to be almost a move to a police state, um, you know, we're closing down playgrounds, they said, and then backtracking on that. A lot of confusion, a lot of chaos. I could go on uh, in terms of vaccinations and, and how the rollout is being done. It's from the top. You know, when you look <clears throat> and this, when you when you look, when the vaccines became available and we were looking at the numbers that were first coming to Canada, we were lagging far behind. And then how they were distributed amongst the uh, provinces, there were questions around that. And once they reached Ontario, where they were going, I represent a hotspot community. And there are many, in, in certainly in the GTA, um, that should be prioritized with an, with an equitable rollout. And I'm happy to talk more about that um, as well on how we've been trying to deal with that locally. Yeah, I mean, all those points were just they were just obvious uh head scratchers to most of the public out there i'm naming this episode cluster schmuck ontario because there is a failure and almost clown-like failure at the top uh of, of of our leadership um and we are in a terrible state of affairs i mean i have a list of an almost inexhaustive list it's so long yeah right here Slapdash hotspot response 18 plus, but then it turned out to be 18 plus with pre-existing conditions. The vaccine info was piecemeal. It was this health network provided this, pharmacies provided that, your local doctor provided this. There was a list on Reddit, I, I believe in the Reddit Toronto thread. I couldn't even make heads or tails of it. It was like three pages long about how to get a vaccine. So the vaccine rollout was horrible. At one point there were 1.2 million vaccines in freezers, but clinics were sh shutting down for some reason, limited contact tracing. The epidemiologist uh, uh, that I spoke to last episode, Colin Furness, was talking about the contact tracing and how limited it was in Ontario and it was a recipe for disaster because they couldn't really track uh, the spread as much as they needed to. And then they were opening things up and we were talking about this being a, 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 a really um, scary third wave. Uh, the whimsical opening and shutting down uh, the police, increased police powers, un unconstitutional, unenforceable, laughable things we just discussed. Uh, the closing down pay playgrounds. Was, I mean, on and on and on. There were zero acute policy-focused ideas. Everything was swatting a fly with a hammer. 
what do you think was informing his response? If it wasn't science, if it wasn't good policy, uh, I heard Marit Stiles, who is the MPP, NDP MPP for Danforth, uh, mention pollsters today, as did a lot of other MPPs in question period, uh, saying that he was taking his advice from pollsters and bad staff uh, advice instead of relying on the science and from health advisors. Uh, do you have any comment on that or is there any truth to that? And I'm sorry about the long rant, but I'm, I'm basically channeling a lot of the frustration I'm hearing from a lot of people and majority of Ontario is feeling. There, you know, there was some, there's so many things in which you said that I could have gone on and talked about. Um, look, I can't comment on whether or not he's getting it from pollsters. Truth is, I'm not sure where he, where they make their ideas based on, because it just, they're often not listening to the science table that, the, that they struck. Um, you know, I sit as a, on the, the select um, committee for emergency management uh, oversight in, in Ontario. And so the, usually it's the Solicitor General um, who will come and, and read out the, the most recent orders that, uh, that the province is under. And then we will question her and in turn question the government and we never get answers. It took us the longest time for us to find out who exactly they were taking uh, details from. Then it was released at their table. I don't even know, it was dozens and dozens of people. But then when we actually had an opportunity to question um, the, the, uh, the health officers actually came out on one time. So we had, um, we, we had an opportunity to not talk to the Solicitor General, but it was also the Minister of Health. And so what happened at the time was we were asking, um, do, do they listen to everything that, that you suggest? And you could see there were these awkward moments where it's like, they don't want to answer that. They right? started doing this emoji, right? Kinda, you know, you know they kind of looked to the left to, 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 the, uh, to, to the health minister. How do we answer that? Yeah. So how do I not get fired with my answer? That kind and, of thing. And, well, we also don't have an independent um, chief medical officer of health uh, at the right. province. Right? So we're one of the only jurisdictions that, that, that don't have that. So again, that's one of the many concerns. I think another concern to speak about where it's coming from is that the government will get a lot of pressure about something and then they'll want to, to react now. I mean, if it is in fact pollsters, you know, I guess the polls are coming out and it's not looking good and, okay, we got to do something. We got to say something. And so they come out. Um, let's take vaccinations as an example. So it has been shown that you must vaccinate and prioritize not just vulnerable individuals, but the most at risk. Who are most at risk? Frontline workers, essential workers, um, uh, racially marginalized communities that have been most affected, tenants, people that are packing onto buses uh, in urban settings, you know, who are, who, are, who are going to their essential work, things like that, places like that. And that wasn't happening, right? Because the rollout was, 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 was mostly based on age, again, dealing with vulnerability. But, but you were hearing from the, the science table saying, we have to get to these individuals. So, you know, the NDP, the opposition were constantly bringing that up and saying this was important. And so all of a sudden, uh, the premier comes out and says, we're going to vaccinate people 18 and up in hotspots. We said, okay, finally, we've been heard. My community has been asking for that. I've been asking for it. And we find out there's no plan. There's no details. There's no timeline. There's no vaccine supply attached to that comment or that statement. And that's like even a week out. So we on the ground in our community, uh, 
working hard. We, we were working with health partners. How are we going to make this a reality? Now the expectation is out there. And certainly we agree that it is a need. We've been calling for it. And so in, since last Saturday, um, we've basically given out in, in a less than a week period, we were able to work with the University Health Network partners, Michael Guerin Hospital, Humber River Hospital, the fabulous Black Creek Community Health Center in our area, um, Loft, you name it, and others, you know, our local counselor, Anthony Prudza, so many of us came together. Um, and uh, what happened is we were able to give out 12,000 vaccines at the Jane and Finch, in the Jane and Finch community, the Humber River Black Creek residents, because we have seen some of the highest rates of transmissions and some of the lowest rates of vaccinations because the rollout is not equitable. Right. And we're trying to deal with this and fill in the gaps that are certainly in, in the planning process. So going back to the planning process, I want to share a quote from uh, Robert Steiner, who's communications director with the Ontario COVID-19 Science Advisory Table. He said, in response to asking why some of the hotspots decided, some of the postal codes decided by this government showed less infection rates than some other postal codes which showed higher ones. Four out of the five of which happened to be Doug Ford supporting postal codes. We shared our scientific argument with the government, but we understand that the government itself decided which neighborhoods to actually prioritize. So in essence, he's throwing Doug Ford under the bus saying that we provided a scientific analysis of where these hotspots should be, the, the vaccinations should be deployed in. And essentially, he went with a more political um, decision-making process. Has and I mean, we're kind of we're, we're kind of underscoring the, the the point over and over again. It, other than being reactionary, reactionary, other than listening to pollsters, it, is it is it just he operates by whim? Is it is it everything has to have a political angle? Is he? I mean, we have a long history with the Fords. You and I both. I mean, from our days at City Hall. Um, and we understand their thinking more than most people, but let's describe it a little bit um, um, or, or go into a bit of the details about how this government thinks because so many people are confused out there about the response. His poll numbers are dropping. So if he's listening to his pollsters, he's obviously made some wrong terms and should fire Nick Kuvalis, um, who we have a long history with as well uh, from our time at City Hall. Um, it, it, I'm sorry for, again for the long ramp, but I am very frustrated. But uh, is is it, in your experience, even in the day to day at at Queens Park, is it just whimsical? Is it just he 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 turns on a dime in his decision making process? Is there really really no plan, no policy? Is it just reaction all the time, or is it is he just feel cornered right now? I mean, I want to say it's populism, but it's not because it's more of an attempt at populism because it's not, certainly not working. And, and um, yeah, I mean, pr prior to the pandemic, uh, his his uh, approval ratings were really, really low because of all the cuts. I mean, in fact, I think if you go back uh, a week from this week, uh, this was, I think, the two-year anniversary when Ford, uh, when the Ford government was announcing their billion-dollar uh, long-term cuts to public health, if you might remember that. Yep. And so, I mean... And we all said this is really not the, the right way forward. I mean, there's a reason why we need public health. No one saw a pandemic coming, but I mean, but really, 
we all knew that there, I mean, in fact, we look, we, we, we lived through SARS and it was in the same family of coronavirus, but not as transmissible. And, and the truth is neither federal, provincial governments really learned from that, you know, not in stocking the PPE and, and maintaining it. There's, there's, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but certainly that was a wrongheaded approach for saying we're, we're going to cut uh, public health because what could go wrong? Well, there you go. Um, and so now what's he doing? Yeah, it's, it, is it possible that he's just listening to pollsters again? I can't say, I'm not privy to what their decisions are behind closed doors, but so many decisions around not providing paid sick days, um, not protecting those in long-term care, it, it just goes on and on and on. Um, you're left scratching your heads as to who, and if it is that he's listening to pollsters, then, then he's, he's lagging behind in the decisions he's making then because people are getting increasingly frustrated, feeling that it's chaos, that there are no plans that are out there. And I certainly hear it a lot from residents. Um, and so again, and that's been a big problem with the vaccine rollout. So that's why in our community, we've had to take matters into our own hands to vaccinate our residents who are at high risk. And um, there just constantly seem to be a mistake after mistake. I want to also get to the, the paid sick leave because there have been advancements even in the last couple hours on that one, apparently or evidently. Um, but I also want to point to another group that it seems this premier is listening to. And this is a, a tweet from Travis Danraj, who is a, um, uh, he is a reporter for Global News, I believe. And he was paying attention. He pays attention very closely to the comings and goings at Queen's Park. It says, cabinet is done for the evening. We'll reconvene in the a.m. to finalize more restrictions. This is prior to his last Friday's announcement. I'm told by sources as of now, curfew is off the table. Also looks like the most construction will continue as the lobbyists won that battle. Now, considering that construction sites and warehouses, manufacturing, are some of the biggest spreading uh, entities right now, uh, points of uh, vector points in the spread of COVID-19 right now. How beholden to lobbyists has this government been uh, in your experience? And how much do you believe that they have influenced current policy misdirection in the, in the in pandemic response? Hmm. Well, I can tell you that, um, you know, the, the, the Ford government are, are, are going strong with fundraising, right? They're continuing to do it all over the place. And, um, and they're certainly fundraising amongst, um, you know, the wealthiest. And certainly during this pandemic, when we've seen moves to close small businesses and not properly compensate them, we've seen large multinational corporations with their doors open throughout. Um, when they called on the premier or, or members of the ministry or the government to get meetings, they were granted meetings very quickly. But again, when the small mom and pop shop, uh, small businesses and workers have been trying to reach out to this government, um, they just get the dial tone, right? And, and that's really how it's been. Um, one thing then that, that leads me to who are the lobbyists? Well, I can tell you that the development industry have a lot of reach into this government. That's an absolute um, obvious thing that's happened. You know, before the last election, you know that um, the premier made many moves to want to uh, to develop on the green belt. He was resisted again. He tried again, and we've seen in many different ways, shapes, and forms that 
developers have benefited a lot under this government. Um, he's basically taken away uh, the ability of communities to properly fight against developments and to stand up to developers. He's taken away what developers, uh, he's cut in half what developers have to give back to communities when they make money in, in their developments there. So again, he's taken away the say. He's, he's, they've issued, I don't know if it's a record number of MZOs. I mean, you see people- Can you explain for the people at home what an MZO is? Yeah, so it's a ministerial zoning order. It's like a short circuit. So, so it's a way to bypass the process and uh, quickly uh, make a development. So you have environmentally protected sites and he brought in legislation during a pandemic. So again, we're all focused on staying healthy and, and, and dealing and addressing with a pandemic. And then you've got all this background um, legislation that's being tabled. For instance, there was, um, okay, this bill wasn't pandemic related, but it was about um, something that the NDP had been pushing for, which is to bring uh, infrastructure for um, online uh, so that people can um, access the internet from their homes, you know, and whatnot in, in, in rural communities and places where they don't have access to internet. And then buried in there was a schedule that again, uh, issued MZOs, it protected people retroactively, um, developers, you know, in terms of those issuances. And when you would see many of these MZOs get um, passed or legislation like this table, you'd see uh, big donations, big ticket donations from large developers coming in at the same time. Now, certainly I'm not going to loot anything, you know, hey, I believe in coincidences, but, but this, you know, this is what is happening. And this is all happening in the backdrop, taking away the power of conservation authorities to protect wetlands, forests, our drinking water, you name it. I'll point the to the 413 as well, the, 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 the fast tracking of the 413, which will save a two minute commute. It's basically a connector highway between Highway 400 and Highway 427, I guess. No, it, exactly. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, uh, I was working with incredible groups like Canadians for Properly Built Homes, um, who are trying to help those who, who've, who've bought new homes. And um, there were huge problems in construction and in getting their warranties um, respected. And there were people who have lost their lives, you know, to mold uh, in homes where they've had issues fighting against tearing on and fighting against their builders. And so, again, there was all this hope to turn that around. And you had all these consumers, people that were fighting their builders show up in committee, talking to us, talking to me, talking to conservative government members. And everybody heard these stories and were nodding their heads and saying, oh my gosh. And the only um, party that showed up to any of these hearings was one um, representing the developers, the builders, that industry. And they were the only ones who said, yeah, we, we agree with the proposed changes. Everybody else said, no, these don't go far enough. So it just goes on and on and on. So during this pandemic, certainly um, the way in which the plans have been put out there and how it's being handled, frontline workers, essential workers, small business owners have all suffered. The, the wealthiest have been doing okay. And certainly in the backdrop of this pandemic, once again, the developers continue to seem to have a direct and very open line of communication to get their way from this government. And it's just really disappointing. So today, we saw him hold a press conference at his mother's, late mother's home. And choking back tears, he started issuing a mea culpa, accepting responsibility, the buck stops with me, that whole line. Um, 
And then he went on to allude to something along the lines of sick days might be implemented. It's in line with the federal program, but then he blamed the federal program for a lack of improvement on the Canada Recovery and Sickness Benefit. He also blamed the feds for not closing down borders, vaccine supply, all kinds of nonsense while he's choking back tears and his Zoom connection kept going in and out. Um, it was a big, big, to use his term, that use a term he likes to use, a big disaster. Have you, in the development since that, you've had question period, have they given any other details as to the paid sick days, which the NDP have been demanding for months and months and months and months in order to stamp, and other experts, uh, mind you, they've been demanding for months and months. Has ha, Have there been any more concrete details about their sick day program that they keep alluding to and whether or not it's coming ASAP or even if they have a plan on the table or is it just more poll reactionary slash public backlash reactionary stuff? No, I mean, yeah, the, the issue of paid sick days is something, again, that the NDP opposition were calling for since the beginning of this pandemic. And it's something that that um, the Ford government continued to reject and speak against. Um, the federal government uh, issued some sort of plan. Again, their plan isn't perfect. There, there are many things that need to be improved with, with what they're offering. But, um, but, but um, though it was something, and, and the Ford government even came out in opposition to that. And then after that, um, once we started continuing to pressure them over creating, uh, you know, providing sick days, uh, they, they continued to say no. Then they said, oh, well, the federal government is offering a plan. So I don't know. They, they, came to, they seem to be all over the place on that one. Now, I didn't have a chance to watch the press conference. I was sitting in legislature and, and actually came right to do the podcast not short after. And I don't know if he was announcing a plan to plan to maybe plan on doing sick days. I, I don't know. But... I, I, it looks like they're just buying time. I mean, he's been, he was against it throughout the entirety of this pandemic. I know that um, this government's under a lot of pressure um, to, to change course on many things that they're doing that uh, the public and health experts quite frankly disagree with. And so he's certainly under a lot of pressure and I hope that he changes and he reverses his decision. I mean, this is why the, the NDP opposition have been calling for paid sick days in Ontario because the federal plan doesn't go far enough. We need an Ontario solution for Ontarians. And um, I hope he changes his mind and he changes his mind soon. But but delays and this sort of stuff and announcing plans without any sort of details. Look, I, I wanna mention that I think it's the fourth time now the NDP, and this is under the, even under the former Liberal government, have called for huge changes to long-term care in Ontario. And I'll, I'll give this as an example, okay? And so what the NDP have been calling for is to have at least a minimum of four hours of direct care for every person and every resident living in long-term care. Um, the past government, it, it received unanimous support and then it went to second reading um, and it just passed second reading. It never went to committee. It never went to third reading. It never went to royal assent, which means it, it sat on an order paper, but it never passed because the government wasn't willing to make the changes in long-term care. And certainly both liberal and conservative governments have done a lot to privatize long-term care where we've seen residents facing the most worse and tragic, tragic outcomes. And certainly um, both liberals and conservatives have received massive donations over the years from private 
um, long-term care providers. Again, over and over again, um, NDP members have tabled legislation to call for improvements. And again, under this government, it passed second reading and is just sitting there with no, no plans or what the future are for it. So again, I bring this up as an example because the government sometimes will get positioned in a way where they know they're wrong, they're just not willing to make or do what's necessary, make the decision to do what's necessary, but they're not gonna now come out right against it. So now they're seeming to backpedal because of the amount of pressure, they're finally hopefully caving because they should, it's the right thing to do, provide paid sick days. But will they do it? When they'll do it? I don't know. I don't know. It reminds me, it, it reminds me of, of how they managed the whole uh, uh, autism issue and how they just precipitously backpedaled on all their plans um, going forward. It, it's, it's just, it's, it's a disgrace, to be honest. On the, uh, on the weekend, I believe it was, a columnist from the Washington Post, opinion writer, um, called for Doug Ford's resignation. And since then, there have been kind of an increasing chorus of people echoing that sentiment. His poll numbers are at an all-time low. And I keep bringing up the poll numbers because it seems like that's what's governing this government's response to everything. Um, you know, it's not the city hall days where you basically get to say F you to everybody, as the Fords usually did. Um, he's part of a party structure. And when, if there's anything we know about the progressive conservatives is that, you know, the knives come out early. Um, and if, if, if your numbers are starting low, there's a lot of factional divides within the party. Are you hearing any of those rumblings behind the scenes of PC revolt? I mean, we had Roman Babber, uh, uh, you know, go independent uh, because he was against what the policy directions of this government. What are you hearing behind the scenes at all? Are you hearing anything? Well... Yeah, you pointed that out. I mean, there, it's not just him. There, there have been a number of members um, of this government that have either been kicked out or, or have been um, or have left of their own volition for a number of different reasons. Um, I can't. I know that. Uh, I know what I'm hearing. I know what my constituents are reaching out and telling me um, their disappointment with the government and what they want to see changed. And so I know for a fact that uh, conservative MPPs must be government, you know, government MPPs must be receiving those same calls, emails, because I know a lot of people who've called me have said, we've reached out to the premier's office, or we've called our MPP, because a lot of people who call me aren't even in my writing. And um, they're asking, what do we do? How can we fight this? We're very disappointed, to, you know, with our MPP, or either, you know, maybe they didn't call back, or um, they're staying, their hands are tied, or whatever reasons. So for sure, um, government MPPs are hearing the, the frustration of Ontario residents and their own constituents. And I certainly hope they are bringing back those frustrations to their own caucus meetings. Um, so there has to be a lot of dissent, probably a lot of questions and certainly a lot of frustration because then they have to go back out there and where the decisions that, that this government are, are making, which is not to fix long-term care, not to provide paid sick days, you know, the list goes on, not for an equitable vaccine rollout strategy um, where we're forced to have to do mobile pop-ups because, um, you know, a person's, <clears throat> like again, I, like in, in, our, in my constituency, uh, we are a hotspot, but if you go through all the methods that are being offered right now, 
outside of a pop-up, you have to be 40 years and up, let's say. And so we know that this third wave is really affecting younger people now. Um, they still don't have those options, even though they get announced. So again, we're forced to have to make changes, um, fight on the ground and, and, and make people give people opportunities without the leadership up top and without the plan up top. So I know there must be a lot of frustration within the, within the, uh, the government caucus and their members. And I really hope that they will tell the premier that he's got to do uh, better, make better decisions, listen to the health experts and do what's necessary right now. It's, it's, it's crazy, actually. I want to go back to the issue of the increased police powers. Now, when he announced that last Friday, everyone who understood what it meant, all, all, the hair stood up on, on their arms. They understood it to essentially mean uh, under the emergency order, police will now be able to arbitrarily stop, detain, ask questions of anyone they suspect. And almost immediately, many of the municipal police organizations issued uh, statements that they would not um, that they would not follow or use these police powers. You being a representative of, of one of the a bunch of the Jane Finch communities and who are disproportionately affected by the issue of carding, which is the arbitrary stopping and asking of questions and collecting of information of individuals just going about their business. What was your initial reaction like to that? And what did you hear on the ground from people in terms of their concerns? Also, as a follow-up to that, do you believe that, have you heard of, of, of any individual police officers using this on the ground locally in your community as of yet? I haven't heard that as of yet used as an excuse, um, but um, certainly there were concerns in our, in our community. And as a matter of fact, Rob, this morning I got up and um, tabled a unanimous consent motion calling for, for the Ford government to renounce that plan and it required unanimous consent to pass and government members um, shouted it down. They said, wow, no. yeah. wow. That's what happened. And we've been calling for that since. So it, it's absolutely, um, we have to build better relationship between the police and community. Um, members of our community need to feel safe. They need to feel they can trust the police. I think it's very imperative and moving in this direction <clears throat> is something that is not helpful. Um, many members in our community feel, um, you know, unsafe many times uh, in, in, in police interactions. And um, that's something that has to be really worked on. It continue to be, we need to fix that for them, right? And, and the reality is, this is a move in the wrong direction. And it certainly raised the hair on many people's arms and necks. It, there was a lot of frustration and, and confusion about that and, and fear. And it was good to hear a lot of uh, police divisions come out and say that they're not going to be doing that. So that's something that it has to end. And absolutely, carding has really negatively impacted my community. Many have spoken against it. And so we have to do everything we can to build trust. Uh, who was calling for it? Who, who the hell was calling for increased police powers? Or was it just, is it just show, but is it just theater? They would want to show that they're tough on making sure people follow rules. Again, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, you know, if I was a fly on the wall in those in those meetings, right? I, I don't know where they're getting this information from. I think they they are not. A lot of what they're doing is the illusions that that it's it's like the pandemic is being spread in social interactions, as though that is the main reasoning. And many times we've heard 
Um, it has to do with, it could be a workplace. There's so many other ways. Okay, let's talk about the issue of pack buses. Some, this is something I've talked about. You're the transit story. critic for the NDP, the which is great, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and, and you know, since last year, uh, my community and Jane and Finch and other communities, every morning, um, every evening, you know, eight, every late, late afternoon, during rush hour, thousands, countless thousands are getting onto buses, right? To go out there to work to put food on the on the table for their family, um, essential workers to keep the economy to keep everything going have been out there. Even at the highest points of lockdown, you were seeing uh, people in my community having to get on a bus, on a packed bus. And so we've I've been calling for more resources to municipalities to help them so that they could add more buses at least during the pandemic, so that people don't. And I've you've seen so many of these images where people are shoulder to shoulder in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a lockdown, worried, concerned. I've read their voices in the chamber. I've called for more funding. Um, no, in fact, um, our transit operators, they are frontline essential workers waiting to get vaccinated. They're putting themselves at risk like other essential workers every single day to get people where they need to go to work and back. So rather than focus on more workplace testing, um, vaccinations of large workplaces and warehouses. There's so many different things to be done. More buses on the streets, you know, all of that type of help. Um, they are once again going back and saying that it's all about social interactions. And I don't know. I don't. I, that's really where they seem to continue to go. So again, they, they seem to be in free fall, and they're making a lot of rushed decisions that I don't know where they're getting the information from. Um, just the science table and health experts are telling them to do a lot of different things that they're not listening to. So I, I don't know getting their, their information or where they're decide what they're making, what they're basing their decisions on. Not to give Doug Ford any credit on this, but how, how have the feds been responsive to Ontario's needs? Uh, obviously there are pl places where they can step up the federal liberals where they can step up and assist not only Ontario, but Toronto and all our hot spots specifically. Uh, has the vaccine rollout been as problematic as Doug Ford has claimed, or is it just the implementation of the rollout? The vaccine supply, he keeps citing that as a reason why things are slow and the response is slow. Um, and is there any truth to that in your opinion? I'm like, okay, so once vaccines do reach Ontario, the plan on where they go and how they get there has to do with the premier. And so we have seen decisions on where vaccines are being put that are not equitable. So if you, if you take a look at the pharmacy option for those, you know, those who wanted to get, who could get vaccinated in pharmacies, um, places like my community were deserts in terms of pharmacies that were, were given the opportunity to provide vaccinations. Uh, we saw charts where communities like mine had some of the lowest vaccination rates and we had something like four times the amount of vaccinations uh, in, in some of the richest communities that have had the lowest rates of transmissions throughout all of the pandemic, having some of the highest levels of vaccinations in, 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 uh, in pharmacies. That's the premier, right? That's the premier, right? And so that's why, again, on the ground, we had to take matters into our own hands and work with, with health teams from everywhere to try to help and provide those vaccination options to people in Jane and Finch and, and, and hotspot communities like mine. Well, that being said, 
Is there an issue with vaccine supply? Well, I mean, throughout this, and I think we've all seen those charts numbering Canada in terms of the amount of vaccines we've been receiving um, versus other countries. And in many cases, we have lagged behind. But for the, for, for the Premier to simply blame the inequitable distribution of vaccines, the fact that in some cases vaccines are being thrown out, the chaos, the confusion, announcements saying a certain group is now eligible for vaccinations without a supply, without a plan, well, that lies firmly at this government's feet. So it is an issue of leadership and, it, and it's multi-level of government leadership for sure. But um, he cannot abdicate responsibility for many mistakes that are being made in this vaccine rollout. There are just too many mistakes. Interesting. And I know you've been spending a lot of time on the ground volunteering at the vaccine clinics in your local community. And I, 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 I think that's a great thing that you're doing. Uh, so you've seen um, a lot of the operational uh, front lines of the vaccine rollout. You said something curious to me that some vaccines are being thrown out. Do you, how is that happening and why is that happening? And um, do you see any other operational hiccups uh, on the front lines that uh, the government of Ontario is responsible for directly? No, there's just, I, I know that there have been some issues. I don't know if it was with suppliers or whatnot. There have been instances where they'll, well, the, you know, you, you, like for instance, um, the initial two vaccines that were offered um, are, are very unstable. They, they need to be kept at very, very cold temperatures. So you're really on a timeline once you thaw them out, right? So there have been some mistakes in terms of plannings, how they'll say, okay, we've earmarked X number of vaccine doses for certain individuals. And then if for whatever reason, those vaccinations don't reach an arm, then you're in a situation where you end up throwing out vaccines. So there have been different cases and situations and reports where that have happened. Um, certainly that, that, that's something that um, in my community, when we've been doing pop-up mobile vaccinations, I've been working really hard to let people know in real time, come out, come out now. And yeah, unfortunately people have to, to line up. It was chilly and they braved it to, to protect themselves. Um, but that was, the options that we were given. We fought to, to get our, to get supply. We worked with health partners and we said to people, you, you can wait months, weeks, at some point when your age group or, you know, you might be eligible for a vaccine um, at a location by appointment, or you can come out today, perhaps wait a couple hours in a lineup and get a vaccine. And, and that's what we were able to do locally. But that had to be done to fill in the gaps in, in the lack of a plan that, that's happening right now. And so, you know, people waited, they lined up um, and ultimately saved themselves in many cases, probably months. So we're, we're, we're doing everything we can, letting people know in real time what's happening. And I'm doing everything I can for my community. I've lived there my whole life. And um, I know what people are going through. Um, I talk to them every day. I grew up as a tenant there, you know, and I, I still live there. And we're doing everything we can to help our community. And I want to see all, I want to see everybody um, with an opportunity to be vaccinated and certainly hotspot communities and a rollout that puts people most at risk, gives them those opportunities. Our frontline workers, our essential workers, racially marginalized communities, tenant communities, the places where people are most affected by COVID, we have to make, uh, we have to make the vaccine accessible to them. And we have to help them with everything we have. We have to target resources there and we need to help people. Yes, and I've seen that th even this week, there have been some 24 hour clinics that were popping up um, recently and people can look online uh, for that information or even follow Tom on, on Twitter. 
He's been a very invaluable source of information or even subscribed to his newsletter. He's been excellent at keeping on top of the new vaccine uh, rollout information. And again, he's been on the front lines as well, which is uh, an excellent endeavor on his part. Uh, going back to the politics of this stuff, other than the paid sick days being implemented immediately, other than getting rid of the inc the new police powers that even some OPP are being witness to abusing it, we saw, I think it was in Gravenhurst, an OPP off, giant OPP officer shoving a 12-year-old child off his scooter because he wasn't socially distancing in a park uh, recently. And uh, we've seen some people being stopped in cars in, up in Northern Ontario. I think it was in Timmins, not having uh, identification from the same address and being charged $800 each. Um, what immediate policy um, pushes policy directions should we be going in other than getting rid of the stupid reactionary stuff and putting in place paid sick days? What are other immediate things we could be doing tomorrow? Let's, okay. So there's so much I could say here. Again, I do want to plug LTC because I think we are at a moment right now um, where the tragedy that unfolded, the lives lost, people who lost their mothers, their, their, their fathers, their grandparents, their uncles, their aunts, their friends, like in, um, in, in long-term care, uh, there has really been a spotlight on that to see what has been happening there. And I think this government and other governments have known the problems that were there, implement the recommendations to give them the direct care. I know that isn't pandemic related, but this pandemic, well, it actually is. Because if you put more money into that, it will keep them safe. But also in terms of providing that quality of life and respect, I think needs to be done yesterday, right? You've talked about the paid sick days. Um, there is, I, Rob, like insurance, okay? The fact that right now it's, it's becoming a situation where small businesses, first of all, give them the supports they need immediately because right now they're struggling and we need to, to continue that support that, that's out there. Um, we need to tackle what's happening in insurance right now because we've seen so much gouging over the course of this pandemic in many different ways, shapes, or form. We talked a lot about auto insurance in, in our last conversation around right. it, but certainly right now, uh, I've been hearing from local businesses that are, that are facing astronomically high rates of insurance when their businesses are closed. And the only response of the government is to um, reduce liability um, to that insurers have to pay out. And we're still not seeing um, rates diminish. The vaccine rollout needs to be equitable. I, I, again, I, I mentioned that over and over, that we need to find places get that are most at risk. The people that are most at risk need to receive vaccinations and they need to be prioritized. Hotspot communities need to be prioritized. The government has come out and they've said it. They've announced that they need to develop plans around that. Um, there's funding in, in so many different ways that need to get out to people to provide them the su supports, whether they be tenants, um, so that they can, in fact, you know, all uh, be able to stay in their unit and pay their rent and also help those small landlords at the same time. Like, Rob, the list goes on and on. But, you know, yeah. the fact continue to mention that um, it has to do with supports. It has to do with an equitable vaccine rollout. Um, and, it, and it has to do with paid sick days. And there's many different small things that, are, that 
while they're not small, I mean, if you, that have been happening throughout this pandemic that really need to be addressed, like the insurance issues, gouging, it just, Rob, the list goes on and on, right? Not only the insurance issues, you mentioned the small business thing, but they got the one-two punch uh, about a month earlier. This Was it earlier this month they announced it? Yeah, earlier this month or late last month where we opened up for a week. Grand opening, grand closing. So all these restaurants ordering all their supplies uh, in the tens of thousands of dollars in some cases, setting up their patios, getting everything springtime ready, and on a Friday they shut it down with less than 24 hours notice, costing these restaurants an insane amount of money in training, in supplies. Um, have you heard from your constituents or your the small businesses in your community about uh, how that is that nonsensical policy uh, switcheroo has impacted them at all? Do you have any stories available about that? I mean, I yeah, like so. I, I'm a I'm a Northwest Toronto um, riding, so we don't have as many patios um, as we do in downtown Toronto. But I but I have heard. Um, from people uh, mainly outside of the community talking about making preparations based on what they believe to be an announcement or what they've heard and then having to turn things around within two weeks. Um, and they've, they've put in a substantial investment, you know, they promised staff uh, work hours. I mean, the list went on. They, they ordered food supplies, put things into freezers, you name it. And then all of a sudden they're told, no, you're going to shut down again. This is sort of the haphazard planning that we're seeing. And, um, they, the, the science experts, the health experts have told the government, warned them about waves. And in many cases, they've gotten their timing right, their numbers, you know, where the issues are in terms of where to target resources, how to deal with it, um, what they are. And the government, again, doesn't seem to be listening to that. So I, it, it's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand why that happens. And it's frustrated, certainly the opposition, but it has frustrated everyone in Ontario. And so, it truly is cluster schmuck on terrible, right? And that's, I said that. You don't have to say that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, is there a chance of Ford being forced to resign? I mean, I've had people ask me that given my history in politics and given your position right now. Uh, he never came across to me like someone who would actually take responsibility despite his pronounces pronouncement this morning that the buck stops with him um he's always been someone to maybe say an, a half right thing and do the full wrong thing uh you think he's a dead man walking politically um given his poll numbers have dropped like 35 percent i think he's at a 24 percent approval rating uh personally and uh 70 disapproval rating uh with his pandemic response um, well, do you think we're going to have to wait till another election to get him out, or is, is he the type to be pushed out by the party? I, you know, again, it's so hard to, I mean, so there's a couple of questions in there. So yeah. I, I do believe that, um, I mean, the public have, for the most part, lost trust in this government and in the premier in terms of how the pandemic has been handled. Um, certainly that's what, what is out there. That's what I'm hearing in my constituency and, and um, the next question is, will he leave? I, I, I mean, from what I know about the premier, I, I, I can't, I, I don't, I can't imagine him willingly stepping down. 
Now, the, I mean, the Conservative Party has forced leaders out, right? I mean, so it's not like it's something that they're not willing to do. In fact, I think you mentioned that right at the top of the podcast um, in a comment. So him, well, going he, his- him getting into the premiership was the result of Patrick Brown being forced out, right? Yeah. So, so there's an example there of right. how they can operate their own internal machinery if they really put their mind to it. Is it possible? I mean, anything is possible, right? Um, but I, uh, but I, I can't imagine him on, you know, him just of his own volition just leaving. Yeah, we know them too well, right? Well, I just, I would be, I wouldn't, um, I would be surprised if it happened like that. But um, if something, could something like that happen? I don't know, who knows, right? But certainly he has lost the confidence in terms of how the pandemic is being handled. And um, certainly this government has lost, uh, the people have lost their confidence uh, in, in this government. So um, I think they know that. I, I think they, they're feeling that pressure and you are seeing a lot more haphazard rules and um, changes and, and you know, um, backpedaling and, and apologies and excuses for things that are happening right now. So, but as with this pandemic, you know, you, you never know what's coming, right? And, um, and this government has made a lot of mistakes. There is information that's out there, um, suggestions made by health experts on what to do, which is provide those paid sick days provide support to those who need it the most in many different ways, whether they are small business owners, whether they are frontline workers, do everything we can to protect um, Ontarians, you know, prioritize vaccines uh, for most vulnerable and most at risk. I mean, the list goes on and on. And again, we've talked about all the small things that need to be dealt with along the way. And like I said, so, there's just so much that needs changing and um, the information's out there. The experts are telling them what to do. Their own science table is telling them what to do and they keep picking and choosing. And again, they should not do things like they're doing around um, changes that, that weaken the environment, that take away the ability of communities to say, to have a say in development and all that stuff. They should not be using the pandemic as an opportunity for them to get through legislation that people really don't wanna see um, and use this this pandemic as as um, as kind of like a smokescreen, right? In the sense that it's happening and people are all focused on it, and then all of a sudden there's other legislation that that's happening that's really unfortunate, and disappointing, and frustrating for people. That that should not be happening. It's it's really really disappointing to see that. Yeah, I mean the the pandemic has taken up all the oxygen in the room, and the biggest breathers have been the premier and the prime minister on that front, and all kinds of other stories are falling through the cracks, and the yeah. eyeballs the eyeballs that usually would be in place on them are just not on them, and it's incredibly sad to see, and I think we're going to see the wake of that for years and years to come. I mean, obviously the pandemic is extremely serious. And it's understandable that most newsrooms devote a majority of their coverage, news coverage, to it. But at the, I'm hearing stories of every day of of things falling through the cracks uh, politically in terms of getting attention. And I appreciate you coming on today and taking time out of your obviously busy day uh, from Queen's Park um, to speak with us. And come back on the show. Uh, you know, you were our first guest and you're our latest guest and our one year anniversary. And I couldn't have thought of a better person to have on than you, Tom. I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else that you'd like to add uh, to our listeners uh, at home uh, 
uh, to let them know about. I just, Rob, I just want to congratulate you again on your one year. Um, your show has been a great success. You're doing a fabulous job. Um, I've known you before. You you became uh, a, a podcaster and you, you've been a, a great guy. You've always been someone who's been skeptical and have always tried to get answers and to think deeply on things. And I think you're doing a fabulous job. And to all of your listeners, um, you know, reach out to the premier. If you're not happy with the way things are going, and that's probably most of you who are listening, and, and, and tell them to listen to the science experts, to listen to the health experts, and um, reach out to your own member of provincial parliament. Um, we do get the messages, whether I, I always choose to call back and respond, um, but certainly those messages should reach the ears of MPPs and uh, tell them what you wanna see, because politicians are here to represent the people, to protect the people, to, to help everybody, and to ensure that um, we're here to get us all Ontarians through this pandemic. So um, reach out to, to your elected representative. We're here to serve you, we're here to serve the public. And so your voice matters, and um, we gotta do this. We gotta make the change, and we, we've gotta work together to protect each other. So um, please be safe, please be healthy, and your voice matters. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, and you heard it here, folks, from Tom directly. Email, call your member of provincial parliament. Let them know your frustrations. That's what they're there for. It will give energy to the those MPPs that agree with you, and it will give second thought to those MPPs who may not uh, agree with you right away. And uh, that's the only way you get real change uh, happening you get involved and Tom I appreciate you coming on again and I hope you have a good day stay safe especially when you're at the front lines in those clinics um, and I hope uh, the next time we have a discussion it's under better circumstances than we are under right now you. gonna head back in the chamber thanks Rob all the best thank you so much take care take care well, folks, that was another episode of Lockdown Toronto, and it's the one-year anniversary. I appreciate you following along with us uh, for all this time. Uh, we're going to keep it going as long as lockdown is still a thing uh, happening here. Um, if you have any questions or concerns, you can send it to us, uh, info at pod6.com. That's info at pod6ix.com. You can go to pod6.com and uh, check out all the shows there uh the info for the show uh things we cited will be in the show notes below you can also subscribe in audio form if you just look up lockdown toronto on whatever podcatcher you use whether it's spotify or apple apple music or google uh just search lockdown toronto uh as a podcast and you can get subscribed to the audio feed there and you don't have to stare at my mug for an hour uh appreciate you coming along and we will catch you in the next one <laughs>